Welcome to Forward Podcast, where we look to equip the aspiring leader within their local context to be the best leader God has called them to be. And today we dive into a tough topic of team development, where I interview Pastor Jack about his theories and process of developing a team and leadership. We even dive into a topic where him nearly losing his life has influenced him up until this day. So without further ado, let's jump right into today's podcast because I know today's going to be a great one. All right, welcome Pastor Jack, Pastor Professor and youth director for NPLAD? Yeah, the district youth director for NPLAD at the Assemblies of God. Okay, so we got pastor, professor, DYD. Yeah. Anything else we should know about? Family man, husband and dad. Okay, awesome. Beautiful kids. Two? Yes. Yeah, three, three. and one. Three, okay. Whew. Wow, okay. Three and one years old. So. Incredible. Awesome. Well, welcome to the Forward Podcast, where we seek to equip those who are aspiring to be leaders um, within the church context or with a Christian background. Um, So they could be CEOs of a company, and they just want to know what it is like to be a Christian leader and how they should go about it. So that's what our podcast is geared toward. And today we're going to dive into topics of leadership, specifically team development. Um, I remember the first meeting I was in with you, and it felt like I've known you for quite some time already. (laughs) And another thing is that I discerned was how gifted you are when it comes to team development. Um, So we're going to dive right into that today. Um, And my first question is, I did also did a little bit of digging and some research. Um, after listening to some of your sermons on the website, the New Life Church that you're a pastor of, I heard some of your testimony for you had nearly lost your life. Um, can you share about that specific testimony and how it's impacted your leadership today? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first, Adrian, thank you so much for having me on today. Um, yeah, so that moment was actually something crazy. <clears throat> if you can imagine a three or four-year-old running around in a hospital robe um, just enjoying life, but at the same time in an incredible amount of pain. Um, it's just, so when I was about three years old, uh, my appendix bursted. And really it was one of those moments where my parents didn't know what to do. And so immediately they began, they took me over to the hospital, got me into emergency. And um, as things began to unfold, some other things were happening in my body at the time, um, as they were able to get my appendix out in time, but other things were kind of happening. And so eventually what the prognosis came is, or the diagnosis is that I had one month to live essentially. And so my parents were encouraged to enjoy every single moment with me, um, spend quality time, have fun, visit me in the hospital. So they kept me in the hospital during this whole time. And so at this point in my life, none of my family is Christian. Nobody knows the Lord. But my mom had knew the idea of God and so she tells this story so beautifully. On one particular night in the hospital, she comes over, she leans on the side of the bed, she gets on her knees, and she just begins to cry out to God. And she says, God, if you are real, heal my son. God, if you heal my son, I will serve you with the rest of my life. Literally, no joke, that's her prayer. And so as she does that, it's, it's like the next day, the next couple of days, God does this miraculous thing. He heals me. The doctors are completely blown away. 
Nobody has any explanation. Oh my goodness. And it's this beautiful, beautiful story. I mean, it doesn't, I mean, I mean, I don't know if we want to make a movie about this. It's just something, <laughs> something just amazing. And so from that point on, my mom, she, she turns her life over to the Lord. She gets plugged into a church. She gets baptized. She makes this decision to follow Christ. And it's from there that she begins to plant the seed in me about serving God. And really, it wasn't until 18, I was 18 years old when I finally made that decision. Hmm. But it's those moments where I've looked back and I've watched God's faithfulness. I've watched God's bigger plan unfold. I've watched how he's prepared me and everything that he's allowed me to experience so that I could reach a certain group of people. And God is so good. God is so good. It's molded my ministry in, in amazing different ways. Hmm. That's good. Uh, that kind of brings up one question that I have for you. Well, I have multiple questions for you, but specifically on that story that you shared with me, um, where it didn't really happen, your salvation didn't really happen until 15, 16 years later. Yeah. Um, so while living as a seeker or someone who's not saved, did you ever have that idea of like, am I walking miracle? Am I just like, or did you just really not care about it? What, what was that like? Yeah, no, Absolutely. So I had this idea that I am a walking miracle. And what I always cared, carried with me while I wasn't saved yet, I always carried this reverence for God. Hmm. I believed that God was real. I believed that he existed. I believed that he intervened, intervened in humanity. Um, but I was never in this position where I was ready to surrender my life. Hmm. But there were certain things that I can remember throughout life, especially in my teenage years, where I remember, you know what? I better not do that. Hmm because God is real, God's watching, God actually intervenes in humanity. Yeah, and yeah. so um, there were some of those things that were always there. Okay, so like that reverence, like a fear and respect mm -hmm. for him. Yeah, like this deep respect. Okay, that's, that's interesting. That's, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that, just alone. Just kind of, just thinking about uh, one of my closest friends. He, he's, his family grew up in church, raised him in the church, and he just has a, a deep reverence for, for God. Yeah. Not so much a believer, but... But yeah, we're, we're speaking that into existence. Amen. That's, right. That's <laughs> um, right. So so let's go 18 years old, um, mm -hmm. you get saved, um, or around that age group, and uh, you decide to just live for Christ. When did you realize that you were called to either be a leader in the church or a servant in the church? A, how would you define that? Well, um, honestly, I was really uh, self-centered mm -hmm. um, at that time in my life, and so God was real, but I didn't really care about anybody else. I, I just I just didn't. And so I had these great dreams and passions. You know, I, I wanted to be a politician, go to law school, do those kind of things. And I remember really just thinking to myself, you know, I am going to change this whole political system for God. And uh, it was during that season that God spoke to me clearly. Um, uh, if, if you believe in visions, God gave me a vision. Uh, to where I was literally in a worship service, uh, hands were raised, I was singing the songs, I was having an amazing time, and I literally had one of those experiences where you kind of fall over in your seat and you just blank out, and that's what happened to me. And wow. I began to see this, this vision, and I saw myself ministering in these different capacities, hmm. and a lot of it was teaching. It was teaching and training, and I saw this, in, and I woke up, and kid you not, I began to pray, and this was my prayer. God, that was so cool what I just saw. I don't want to have anything to do with it. I don't want to have nothing to do with it, God. I, I, I just don't. And I closed the prayer by saying this. God, because I love you, 
if you really want that for me, then change my heart because it's mm. not my heart at all, not even a little bit. Change my heart, God, if that's what you want. In Jesus' name, amen. And that was it. That's, that's how I, that I literally had that moment. Wow. So, so would you say he changed your heart? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I can remember on a, you know, not too long after that, there was a mentor of mine who I was seeking out, you know, trying to learn a little bit more about ministry, what it meant to, to serve others. And um, there's actually a lady and she was introducing me to somebody else. And she said, hey, here, meet Jack. You know, he, he really loves people. And in that moment, I literally paused, my jaw dropped because I thought to myself, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't love people. And then I had another one of those moments where I was like, God, okay, change my heart. Because mm. if I'm going to do these things, if I'm going to do these things that you want me to do, then I guess I'm going to have to start loving people because I don't at this point. Yeah. So it sounds like there was a lot of frankness with yourself and your relationship with God. Um, I know <clears throat> there are CEO people, CEOs, uh, business um, bosses, leaders, and all that stuff um, where they fantasize about these things, and sometimes it's not naturally in their heart. Um, but it seems like you've recognized naturally that they weren't in your heart, but you, it seems like you understood that God had called you something deeper. Um, but you had mentioned that you wanted to be a politician and change the political mm -hmm. system. So it seems like naturally you wanted to do something big yeah right you had some type of vision was that something that always boiled inside you was it something that like raising being like from that three-year-old kid coming out of that hospital up until then did you always feel like man i'm i'm on this planet for someone else for something else yeah i absolutely believed it was for something else not necessarily for someone else okay okay but, um I, I think because i've i had this reverence for god and I grew up with this mentality, this idea there's nothing that I cannot do, mm. um, regardless of circumstances or situations, what you're grown up with or don't have growing up. I always had this idea there's nothing you can't do. Mm. And so when I finally made that decision for God, it was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go after this thing. There's, there's nobody going to hold me back. This, this is mine. God's yeah. given it to me. Wow. You know? And so a little bit of sense of, of entitlement because I felt like, okay, I'm God's child, his son, mm. there's nothing I can't do. And at the same time, I'm like wanting to give back to him hmm. in a sense. Yeah. So God, I'm going to do this for you type of mentality. And that's yeah. kind of really what happened there. And then it was shortly after that, God changed everything. Wow. So, um, man, I, yeah. I have these set of questions. I do want to get to them, but I'm so intrigued because like that, that sense of entitlement, right? Because um, as a leader and, and just as a CEO, you have to have some type of knowing what you're going to do, knowing what you want to do, knowing definitely what God has called you to do. That's probably the biggest, most important thing. And I'm sure there are some who feel that sense of entitlement too much. Mm -hmm. How did you balance that out? Was it something like, or you, did you always feel entitled or was it kind of like battling and pushing through and striving to understanding that, man, I'm a child of God and God's called me to this. Or was it like, did you always feel that sense of, of like, I know and understand confidence in God? Let me tell you this. this. This is really, I think, the key to successful ministry, being a successful leader, and then having longevity in ministry. Mm. Because I've seen a ton of leaders who are excited about God and they either don't reach their goals or they'll get into ministry and they burn out quickly mm. because they don't understand what it takes to have longevity. Mm. One of the biggest keys for longevity in ministry is mentors. Mm. You have to have men and women of God who are 
who you allow to speak into your life no matter what the area is. Right. You, you can't have some areas in your life that are just kind of hidden, that just nobody can touch. Hmm. You gotta allow them to speak in your life. And so um, shortly after that whole scene, I had this vision, that kind of thing, I decided to go to Bible college okay. to take one class, just one class, still do everything I am to work to become a politician, but one class. I remember it was the book of Romans. And I'm, I'm in there, and you're not even supposed to let you take the book of Romans first, but somehow I got into class. <laughs> and I fell in love with God's Word. And the whole idea behind going was, I figured, if I'm going to be a Christian, i got to understand. And I didn't understand the Bible at all, zero. Mm. And so it went well. So I said, you know what? The next quarter, I'm going to take another class. Hmm. I'm sitting down in the book of Acts, the professor's lecturing. This little old lady in her 60s, um, <laughs> she taps me on the shoulder. She passes me a note. I still got this note till today. And it says, I open it up. God, It says, God's going to use you in a powerful way. Wow. And I kind of just folded it and I thought to myself, you know, who hasn't really heard that before? Mm. Everyone's heard that. Everyone says that kind of thing. And so halfway through the, the lecture, the professor gives a break. And, you know, instead of going out and just kind of resting, I decided I'm going to turn around and talk to this lady, this little yeah. old lady. And... Um, <laughs> She begins to tell me the vision that I had Whoa. previously, where I saw myself. I blanked out, had the whole thing, saw myself yeah. mentoring, the, the whole thing. She tells me that. And then to follow up, and I guess this is just God's, his, his grace, his favor. She begins to tell me some things that are going on in my family at the time. Hmm. And so it was just confirmation. God's letting me know, hey, it's not that she was there when you had your vision or anything. She's not that she talked to somebody else. This is all real. This is what I'm calling wow. you to do. So it was in that moment that I broke and I dropped everything else that I was going to do with politician and political wow. science and, and I registered for Bible college full time, never looked back. Wow, that's so, awesome. And so what happened there is I learned humility. Hmm. I learned that if I'm not on my face before the Lord, then this isn't going to go anywhere because he is real. He did it when I was three or four with the appendix and almost dying. He did it in so many other situations on that another story, another time about <laughs> all the times I've almost met death. Um, but, and, and so he's done it in all these ways to where he's intervened in my life. He's let me know that he's so real hmm. and I've developed this reverence and humility, humility. My mentors have taught me humility, hmm. being willing to put your face on the ground and surrender before a God um, who's real, who loves you, who believes in you, who's called you, who's destined you for great things. So, um, that's kind of a little bit of that. Wow, man. Okay. So, so you mentioned the mentors, yeah. um, you mentioned and dive into the mentors topic and it's almost like a sense of team behind you, yeah. um, kind of not pumping you up because mentors just don't pump people up. They, they call them out on certain things. They talk to them about certain things. Um, and you have this vision of where you're teaching and you're mentoring, you're doing these things for others. Um, and, and looking, just thinking about it, it may seem like it's something that you can just do by yourself. Um, but is it something that you can do by yourself, that you feel like you can do by yourself? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Yeah. Building teams, uh, doing ministry in teams is extremely important. You know, one of the things that I've learned is that um, you, you don't ever have to be the smartest guy in the room. You just have to surround yourself with smart people. Hmm. You know, uh, whatever the goal is, whatever the mission is, surround yourself with people who are going to help you reach that goal. So teams is, I just don't know how you do without them, really. <laughs> to trust the process. 
<laughs> so, so can you break down your process of either building teams, team development, say you come into a place and you already have a team, what are some of the first things that our listeners can recognize or something that they can take into action right away? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things when we either come into a position and there's already a team or, or, or maybe we've, um, you know, just put together a team really quickly because it needed to happen is is helping get the right people in the right position. I can't tell you how huge that is, getting the right people in the right position. Um, so many times, you know, we'll throw people in into a into a certain position because we need help in that area, mm -hmm. but that may not be their gifting. They'll struggle there. They won't feel good there. They'll get burnt out there. They're not gonna enjoy themselves, and then um, they're not gonna be able to serve others well. And so getting people in their sweet spot, is what I like to call it, um, makes all the difference in the world. So, but when it comes down to actually building a team, the number one quality that I look for in somebody who's going to uh, play some significant leadership role is I look for somebody who's a doer. Hmm. I look for, you know, somebody who is a make it happen type of person. Now, they may lack in some other areas and maybe they're not a great people person or maybe they're not even great themselves with building a team. Hmm. But if they're a doer, I can shape them. Yeah. I can mold them. I can get them to where they need to go. And so that's so huge. Um, when I'm building a team, if somebody's not a doer, they're not they're most likely not going to play a significant role. And so that that's really big for me. Yeah, yeah. So let's dive into that because that seems like that can be a tough part of team development. Sometimes we fantasize about all the good things and the movement that's happening with the team behind mm -hmm. us. And say there's someone that you recognize that that isn't doing too well in either that spot. Maybe they need a different spot to go to, or maybe their type of involvement isn't just at the right time. Um, what are some wisdom, some words, or some things that you do to, to either hint that to them, to share that with them, to, to communicate it to them? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, <laughs> having difficult conversations is inevitable when you're a leader. When you're the guy, when you're the girl, when you're the person in charge, those inevitable conversations, you know, uh, they're difficult, but you got it, you got it, you got to do it. And so. Uh, when it comes down to some of those things, what I like to do is I like to help people see why they should be somewhere else or why this isn't the best fit for them. Because if I literally just tell them, you know, this is a business of people, mm. you know, uh, and people have feelings, people have emotions. And so if I just tell them, you know, I, I'm risking them hurting, getting their feelings hurt. And while some people are going to get their feelings hurt, it's just kind of part of life, I, I'd like to try to avoid some of that. Mm. I want people to understand that they, they are gifted, they are called, and God wants to use them. But if I, if, uh, if I totally destroy them, then that's not gonna, you know, they're not gonna go anywhere. So some of the things I'll use is, I'll use um, like a spiritual gifts test. Okay. And um, I'll have them fill it out, we'll talk about it afterwards, we'll look at the results, I'll show them. Uh, and then I'll, I'll get them to think critical around the idea, hey, you know, maybe I should be over here because this is a little bit more me. Um, and, and I'll help them to choose it before I tell them that's where they need to be. <laughs> so if I can get them along the path, I can see them where they should be. Um, and without me telling them that's where they need to be, uh, then we, we have a win-win. <laughs> we have a win-win situation. It's almost uh, steering them in that direction and with them yes. um, to where you're being mindful. Um, being gentle, uh, being Christ-like. <laughs> there it is. 
Um, all right, so cool. That's that's great stuff for those who are looking to develop teams. Um, but in team development, in those meetings or in those uh, team development, I guess, moments, um, sometimes there are some outside things that are happening that the team may not know or that may affect you. Uh, here's an example. Um, you have a meeting at 11 a.m. Um, you get news of someone at 1030 uh, a.m. that someone has either passed or some bad news. Um, in that team development moment or in that moment, what are some ways that a leader can under can, I guess, reconcile that bad news and still not let it affect the team building or the team development or the team in general? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that's a great question. You know, one of the things that we try to live by is that people matter. You know, and all across and all of our ministries, everything that we do, everything that we say, everything we do is that people matter. And so whenever I'm carrying something really, really difficult, there's a couple of things that I try to make sure happen every single time, especially before I'm about to walk into a meeting with a bunch of people who I don't necessarily want to feed off of. Uh, you may want to call it negative energy, but just anything that, you know, something's tough has happened. Mm -hmm. um, number one, I will call my wife. <laughs> my wife is a great person just for me to just share, confess some things, talk through some things, and she, she's great about speaking life. And so if there's anybody you have in your life that you can just share with, you can get some things off so that, you know, anytime we, we, um, we share with others, this is amazing what happens. The other thing is I go to my mentors. I talk mm. about what's happened. Uh, we're human beings. We, we, we absolutely need to confess certain things. James 5, 16 reminds us of that. You know, confess your sins to one another and you'll be forgiven. It's this, this amazing relationship that God wants, to have, wants us to have with others. But here's the other thing, and especially when it comes to my leaders, especially when it comes, with, uh, comes to the people who serve in the trenches with me side by side, I like to be open and honest with them. Mm. And so we won't ignore the fact that something's happened. Mm. We'll literally, I'll, I'll have a moment and say, hey, listen, before we get into these other things, I gotta let you know what's happened. This and this has happened. Um, I, I need you to be praying around this, but I need us to begin to strategize on what we're gonna do together because it's this team philosophy, this team mentality. It's not one guy conquering the world. It's us charging the hill together. And so we'll take a moment, we'll pause, we'll reflect. Um, we'll, we'll take a moment for prayer and just really allow God to do, to take over, allow him to do what he needs to do, and then we'll, we'll carry on with where we need to go. And so, you know, I'll, I'll have those moments. And I try to make sure those help us where I'll either speak to my wife or I'll speak to a mentor or I'll, I'll get it out in some way. And then when it comes to everyone else, I'll say, hey guys, this is the real thing. This is really what's mm -hmm. happened. You know, we're in this together. I just need you to know about this. Whether it's in my personal family, somebody in the church, um, I'd rather us be open and honest because I think that, you know, one of the, uh, I think Patrick Lencioni says it best. He talks about the five dysfunctions of a team and the biggest one is the lack of trust. And we don't have trust because we don't really, we're not willing to be vulnerable. Hmm. And you've got to be willing to be vulnerable if you're going to have longevity in ministry. That's good. That, that answer you shared there kind of took me by surprise because I naturally have that uh, type of leadership mentality, try to take on the world, tackle on the world. And you sharing that deconstructs that thought of having to be strong and well-protected and uh, not seem weak in front of a team in order to build that team. And of course you have to have a certain maturity level in that team already to be able to share that with them, right? Um, but man, that's so good. And, and you touch on that vulnerability aspect of leadership and of team building. 
Um, what are ways that you overcome that vulnerability um, in a way that is unhealthy, I guess, unhealthy vulnerability where you feel insecure or where you feel like, man, I'm not sure if this is the direction, but I'm just going to go for it. What are, what are ways that you, you overcome that? Does, does that make sense at all? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, the first thing here that's coming to mind when it comes to team building and you're like, because you know what, you can totally serve on a team and not really be vulnerable with anybody on the team. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll say, yeah, I trust that person. You know, we, we, we get a job done together. We serve God or we, 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 we focus on this mission, but we're not necessarily vulnerable. And where great buy-in and deep trust happens is when we're vulnerable. So, you know, excuse me, there, there's a bunch of different exercises that we can do. And um, there's one actually, again, and I'm thinking just about trust and I'm thinking about Patrick Lencioni and, and uh, what he said. Um, there's some exercises that you can begin to work out. And one of those things is that when you're sitting down with somebody else that serves on the same team as you, um, you can break down some basic questions. Hey, you know, um, uh, where did you live when you grew up? Um, and then what was the major, what would you say is the, the critical point in your childhood that really shaped the rest of your life going forward? <laughs> and what you do, what happens there is you're actually getting to know that person at a deeper level. And when you know people, almost the way that you opened up this podcast, you're able to speak a little bit more specific to some of the things that they know about. Now you trust this person because I know that person's background. Right. I know their history. I know what they're about. I know what they stand for. And so now trust happens. Now in trust, now we're developing vulnerability because mm -hmm. now, you know what, I trust this person. So now I can be a little bit more open. I can be a little bit more honest. I can share some of the things that I really struggle with because I know them. And it's funny, but that's how human beings yeah. work. Yeah, uh, that reminds me of the moment where uh, mm -hmm. we go into the first meeting for the NPLAD youth um, ministry thing. And uh, towards the end of that, you had, uh, I think it was called safe words or safe vocab or something like that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And there was a couple of words on there um, where <clears throat> if you don't really know the person or don't really understand where they're coming from, um, there can be some pushback. So say someone has an idea and uh and there's that person is sharing that idea and we're all in that meeting and i come back and say no nope, i don't like that idea that's a bad idea but uh, some of the vocabs that you had um, was uh i have some pushback i have these safe words and and you took time to describe these words so that it's a healthy team environment what are some other tips that our listeners or other aspiring leaders can do to create a safe zone for team development Great question. So every team leader needs to model healthy conflict. And another, uh, another one of those things is conflict is inevitable. Conflict is going to happen. Conflict is going to happen on every single team. Somebody's going to say, well, you know what? This and this is my great idea to do this. And I think this will be the best thing for our church, our ministry, our team, um, or, or whatever that might be. And somebody else may push back. Somebody else may disagree. Somebody else may have a, a, another idea that they think is a completely different direction. And uh, you know what's going to happen? Feelings are going to get hurt. Emotions are going to come into play. But if healthy conflict is modeled, coming from the leader first, people understand you know, that, that at the end of the day, we might disagree, but together we are going to agree on one thing for the cause, of, for the greater cause of the church, of the ministry, of the business, whatever it is, because we have a mission, we have a goal. And so if there's, if there's trust, if there's vulnerability, we can have healthy, we can have healthy conflict and still survive. 
you know, so many times, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to watch churches actually split apart. Um, and it's because one person thinks this or one person mm. thinks that and they're going in completely different directions. They don't understand how to have healthy conflict, mm. how to agree to disagree, if right. you will. Right. Um, but right. still, you know what? At the end of the day, we have one purpose. We have one cause. We have a mission. We have a plan. And even though we don't agree, I can see why we need to make this one decision and go in this one direction for everybody. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. And almost a unity, right? Um, when when one church is on the same page in the direction that they want to go, I mean, God can do some amazing things. And just as just from a human standpoint, um, the psychology of that, of everyone being on the same page and in that direction where, where they want to go is, is exciting. It's fun. It's um, just great to be a part of. Um, what, what are some things that you look forward to as a leader when you are given either this position or given uh, a task and you, you get to be the leader of something? What's something that you look forward to the most? Um, I, I think that might be, um, it might be the process of watching God's hand at work. Hmm. You know, because a lot of times people think, well, you know, God is like our genie. You know, and you just rub the lamp, and he's going <laughs> to magically come out, and it's all going to happen for you. You know, you are going to be the next mega church mm. and the next great, and, and it does not happen that way. Right. We cannot go to the vending machine, hit D12, and God's just going to pop it out for us. It does not happen that yeah. way. And so, enjoying the process, mm. enjoying watching God do small things, mm. it's in those little things that remind you and even propel you. To, to, uh, to experience the greater things and know that the greater things are coming. Right. And so watching leaders develop, watching people get it, watching people's lives transformed, watching people surrender to Christ. Um, you know, you, you hear stories, thousands of people to come to Christ, but it's beautiful when even just one person comes to Christ. And, and, and you know, and the Bible reminds us that, that heaven rejoices when that happens. And so uh, a lot of it's the process. A lot of it's the everyday, the ins and outs. Um, you know, just watching things come to be. Yeah. That's awesome. That's good stuff. Uh, again, Joel Embiid, we talked about a little bit about that before we began the recording, but Joel, M Joel Embiid and Trust the Process. Um, and that is an exciting, exciting thing to look forward to um, and just get to, get to be a part of, of something and just see what God does. Amen. All right, awesome. Thanks so much, Pastor Jack. Um, what can our listeners do to get a hold of you or to connect with you or just want to know more about you? What, what, what can we do here? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, the first thing that I'd say is um, you can check out our church website, www.newlifesac.org. Um, there's always a way to get a hold of me from there, and, and there's always uh, different content uh, content um, that we might be sharing there. Um, also, if uh, if you're into Twitter, uh, it's Rev Jack G, and um, you know I'm always posting something there, maybe inspirational or something that had to do with leadership, and uh, we'd love to connect with you and help you along your journey, um, everything that God's called you to do. All right, sweet. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put that in the About podcast, the website, and the Twitter handle, um, so that way people could check you out, see what you're up to, and, and all that good stuff. I, again, I appreciate you taking the time to allow me to interview you for this uh, Forward podcast, and I know our listeners are going to be blessed by it. Thanks, yeah. Pastor Jack. Thank you. Thank you so much, Adrian. Hey, that wraps up today's Forward Podcast. I hope you really enjoyed it. You can follow Pastor Jack on Twitter at RevJackG. 
That hand, Twitter handle will be on the notes. You can also get more information on newlifesac.org where you can find more information to see what the church is up to. And you can also request a time with Pastor Jack. And the music you are currently listening to is produced by David Kaiser. You can get more of his music or reach out to him on SoundCloud. And that link will also be on the show notes. Thanks so much.